Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had so many questions. How do I record an episode? Where do I find background music? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people like to listen? Where do I find advertisers? The answer to every one of those questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing, and monetizing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and 100% easy to use. I absolutely love Anchor. It allows me to record and organize my podcast without being an audio engineer. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Good Girl Gone OMAD, your go-to resource for learning more about your health and happiness through intermittent fasting in a world that's constantly telling us to do more, be more, and eat more. If you don't know already, I'm your host, Kay Dorellis, and I'm so excited to be kicking off season two today. Yay! So I've been cooking up great content for you all. This topic that I'm going to discuss may feel overdue. Through my story, I'm going to help you identify a key tool that you can use to regain and maximize your health. If you were to go on my Instagram page at goodgirlgoneomad, you might conclude that my journey went like... I gained weight from having a kid, I struggled with weight loss, found success through intermittent fasting, and voila, the end. But that's not exactly the end, and my weight loss was just another beginning. Today, I'm going to share with you my story of defeat and overcoming. I've had some very troubling diagnoses starting at the young age of seven and throughout my entire life, and I want to share that with you. I actually feel like I need to share that with you because I want you to know what truly drives me. And you've heard people ask before, like, what is your why? Figure out your why. For me, it's not likes. It's not followers. It's not taking photos for social media. It's not recording myself doing a million burpees. It's not even money. It's none of those things, really. So today, I have no notes. I have no script, and because we are talking about health and the human body, things may sound a bit graphic, but that's my disclaimer for today, but stay tuned to learn more about my journey. So, this journey of overcoming. Just the other day, a dear friend of mine asked me what motivated me to do intermittent fasting. If you've listened to my previous episodes, The surface level answer is that I was fat, I tried every diet, I failed at every diet, and not eating was my last resort (laughs) to lose weight before I just gave up completely. You know what? All of that is true, but it's not really the only answer. So my friend asked me why I started intermittent fasting, so I'm going to tell you exactly like I told her, and you can play my best friend for the day. And I can't really I can't really talk about weight loss without talking about my health. I can't talk about my health without really talking about my history and 
my issues that I've had with my health. So at the age of seven years old, I was officially diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I was too young to remember all of the feelings and discomfort um, that that I experienced, but the visuals that I have are still vivid to this day, even at this old age. Crohn's disease is inflammation of your intestines, and like most diseases, the symptoms aren't the same for everybody. My experience was all rectal. So we are talking about the body, but if this stuff makes you queasy, you might want to fast forward a little bit. At the age of seven, being diagnosed with Crohn's disease, all of my bowel movements were bloody. Not just spots of blood, but pools of blood, like Coca-Cola red blood in my toilet was just a very common thing to see at the age of seven, um, just an everyday sight. But I knew this wasn't normal. Um, It wasn't normal for me to be spending my afternoons taking cultures and collecting specimens of my my stool. Well, I didn't do it. My, My mom did it. But the doctors were just scrambling to understand what was going on with me. How do they treat me? What can they give me at this at this young age? You know, this was years ago. And I remember going to doctor's offices and getting stares from the nurses because I was a seven-year-old getting regular colonoscopies that are typically meant for 50, 60-year-old people. And what was troubling was the doctor's faces weren't too assuring either. So at this time, it was like I have this thing called Crohn's disease and you guys are doctors and you guys can, you know, give me some medicine, figure this out and we can, you know, continue to be, to be happy. But their faces were so puzzled every time that I went to visit, you know, visit a specialist. And I remember going to a few doctors and there was one visit where my mom was getting frustrated with all the different tests that I had to go through and all the different medication that they were trying or not trying. And she was just like, I want to speak to somebody who has the answer, somebody who who knows what they're talking about. Because at this point, what it felt like was just a lot of guesswork. And my doctor at the time, he looks over and he says, I'm the head of the gastroenterology department, and I promise I'm doing everything I can for your daughter. And at that time, I felt like, you know, I'm in good hands. Like, there probably won't be an answer overnight. But I, I genuinely felt like the head of the gastroenterology department probably has my best interest in mind, right? I remember him saying to me, stay away from leafy green foods because my digestive system wouldn't be able to handle it. And I'm thinking, that's it? Like, dude, I'm seven. I don't eat anything green. (laughs) And I didn't. I don't remember a Long history of me incorporating a lot of leafy greens in my diet. And then after that, I I didn't. Um, I remember leaving the office and actually going to eat a flaming, uh, a bag of flaming hot Cheetos. But what he said with to me really stuck with me because I was, I remember having these, you know, bowel movements and the discomfort I was in and all of the doctor's visits. So, you know, my mentality at that young age was just stay away from green food, stay away from vegetables, stay away from leafy green food. And that probably didn't do do me much good moving forward, you know, getting that nutrition. I avoided leafy green vegetables like the plague 
because I just didn't want to do any further damage. And after months of some pretty awful medication, I went into remission. I thought to myself, okay, unfortunately, I probably won't get through life scot-free of no health complications, but luckily Crohn's disease is just something that can go into remission and hopefully it'll stay in remission. And so at that point, I felt like I kind of defeated it. I kind of rose above it. And maybe this was just a childhood thing. That's one story. (laughs) Fast forward a good eight years. I'm in my teens and I'll never forget meeting my mom to go to my annual eye doctor visit. Side note here, I've always wanted to wear glasses so that I could look cool at school. Like my vision was always good, but you know, the cool kids, not that they were smart, you just were cool if you wore glasses. So I always wanted to wear glasses and my mom would never buy them for me because there was no need. I never walked out of the office, um, the eye doctor's office with a prescription until, until I go to this one routine appointment and the practitioner grabs this puff gun thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? The little machine that blows a puff of air in your eye and kind of measures your eye pressures. I've never seen it before. Um, And my eyes are so sensitive. They're highly sensitive. Like I blink at anything that gets close to my face. And as soon as she approached my chair, I'm blinking. Like blink, 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 blink. She keeps telling me to hold still, but I couldn't. And so to try to keep this appointment moving, she uses her thumb and her finger to pry my eye open and to fire this puff of air in my eye. And I blinked, like, regardless that she was holding my eye. She keeps telling me to relax. Well, this went on like six times, moving from left eye to right eye, right eye to left eye. And I'll never forget. She looks at my mom and she says, her pressures are reading very high. And my mom goes, how high? I'm getting 23 and 25. And then there was a long pause. And the lady goes, those are pressures of someone with glaucoma. But let me go get the doctor because you were blinking a lot. And she giggles and leaves the room. Just like that. She's like, you were blinking a lot. (laughs) And then she leaves. Talk about dropping a bomb and then just disappearing. But I wasn't concerned. I was, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that. And I couldn't stop blinking during this puff gun test. So clearly none of the results that she got were accurate. We didn't fully understand what glaucoma was, but it sounded important. So in walks the main doctor, right? And she goes, Based on your reading, you have high pressures, and that could lead to glaucoma. So she pulls out this 3D eyeball thing and kind of points to a nerve in the eye and says that my high pressures will damage these nerves or this nerve over time. Then she shows me a pamphlet of a person over time developing tunnel vision because of glaucoma and ultimately losing vision. All I'm thinking is that I can completely lose my vision, my eyesight at 16. She says, but since you were blinking a lot, I'm going to use this blue eye test to look in your eye. It's not a puff. And I'm thinking, oh, thank God. Like, let's get to the real test. 
you know, get these pressures under order so I could leave. Like I was ready to go. So she shuts off the blue light, turns on the overhead light and says, well, I am getting 21, 23, which are still slightly elevated pressures. And I said, well, that's close to 2020 vision. And she goes, even the slightest pressure will cause nerve damage. I'm going to give you a prescription for eye drops. Because there's no nerve damage, we're just, we're just going to call you a glycoma suspect for now. <laughs> Do you know that I took that prescription and walked out of that office and started lo just looking at everything? Like everything was just like so brand new. The buses, the concrete, the cracks in the concrete, the flowers, the sky. Like I just started to just absorb everything because I'm thinking at a very young age, if I'm going to lose my eyesight over gradually over the next three years, I kind of need to take it all in now. And I'm so, I'm so silly. I went home and I actually blindfolded myself to see if I can navigate throughout the house without being able to, to see. And I just broke down. <laughs> I cried. I felt very sorry for myself. Um, I did not understand how somebody at 15 in their teens was going to gradually lose eyesight. Um, I felt relatively healthy and I just didn't want to be a blind teen. And that was a lot to take in. Um, if you've never had that scare before, or if you don't know anybody that um, has had to deal with that, the eye drops suck. <laughs> They're not just like Visine eye drops. They're these thick, it's almost like gel. It's not even a drop. It's literally like a gel that goes into your eye. And I just had to do that every day. The solution was bright yellow. So it's not just something I can kind of do on the go. Had to wake up, put it in early. It, you know, messed with my vision. It was yellow. So my eyes were starting to become this tinted yellow. Um, manageable, just something that right now I'm still on top of. I regularly go to the eye doctor just because I have a history of eye, high eye pressures that um, cause me to be sensitive to, you know, to this type of information. So, so that's a lot, but I want to go back to Crohn's disease. Fast forward another five years, I hit a wall. While I was in college, I started experiencing severe discomfort meaning my stomach was just constantly uneasy. I always felt like I had to go to the bathroom, like a real urgency to go, but nothing was coming out. It was really bad. I would try to go throughout the day and just operate as if I was normal, as if I was fine, but I wasn't. My boyfriend, which is now my husband, picked me up from my college town apartment and drove me across state to go back to the city to go to ER. I was borderline like kicking and screaming because I didn't want to deal with doctors. But I knew he meant well. That's why he dragged me there. And this is where things get really real when it comes to health. I was admitted in the hospital for five days. No food. They didn't give me a, a lick of food. Um, barely water. And they conducted every test under the sun that they could but I didn't hear from anyone. Like I was going through all these tests, but nobody was giving me results from any of these, any of these tests. It was the craziest thing. There were a lot of nurses in and out, but no results. So on day five, 
my mom was visiting me that morning before going to work. And there was a knock on the door. And in walks this doctor with this very casual look. He had on a collared shirt and a stethoscope, you know, nothing too alarming. He walks across the room, glances around, sits in like one of the visitor's chair because my mom was sitting on like the thing that lets out um, as a couch if you were to visit and stay. He walks across the room and, and yells, you can come in now. And in walks seven surgeons in white coats standing in my room. And the main doctor says, well, based on a reading from a test you did, your results from the radiologist, we need to remove a section of your small intestines. What? <laughs> I'm staring at these sur surgeons, seven of them, in bright white coats. This is like the most vivid memory I'll probably never forget. And it just took me a minute to really digest what he was saying. But I said to him, I don't feel any discomfort where you're describing, you know, within my intestines as if you could feel stuff within your intestines. I'm not getting surgery. And then there was another long pause. And then the head doctor looked, looked around and said, can you guys step outside? He was talking to the surgeons. And now I'm confused. Like, why did he not just tell him to leave? Like, I just told him I'm not getting surgery. <laughs> he sits down again and he starts to explain within my images that um, were sent to the radiologist, I have a section of my intestines that is telescoping into itself and it needs to be removed. And he then starts listing symptoms of telescoping intestines, like anybody that has this has lots of discomfort and they throw up consistently and it's about mid, you know, midway with, within my anatomy none of which I was experiencing the reason why I admitted myself into, into, the, into the hospital. And he goes, well, it was relayed to, to us that you have this going on. And, and if you don't feel it now, you will soon. And then it'll be too late to perform the surgery. Those seven surgeons that are outside are not just any surgeons. They are emergency surgeons. And they're here to preserve your life, even though you might object it they aren't designed to really listen to you. I just can't tell them to go away. So they aren't really leaving here without a body. So what's going to happen is that they're going to make an incision in your abdomen and remove the part of the intestines that's telescoping. And the normal recovery time is 12 weeks. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I came here because I was having issues doing daily activity like sitting in class without being uncomfortable, going to eat without being uncomfortable, even trying to go to the bathroom. And now I'm sitting across from a, a, a head surgeon, which has an army of surgeons outside, ready to wheel me down and cut me open. It was just so stressful. And it basically felt like there was no negotiation. He just sat there like as if he wasn't moving. He goes, look, I'm not supposed to be in here for this long to talk about this. As soon as he said that, one of the surgeons knocked on the door and looked down at his watch as if to say, like, hurry up. I said, don't they got, like, bullet wounds to tend to? Like, people that actually need surgery? I don't need surgery. And he says to me, 
no, they came up here to get you. And I'm, I am so frustrated at this point, but I'm very calm because I'm still trying to process what is going on. I said, but they don't even have, they haven't even fixed the pain that I'm in in order for you to operate on some area that I don't even feel discomfort. And suddenly his pager just went off. His pager is blowing up. And he says, excuse me, I need to step outside and take this. And at this point, I'm just staring out the window. I just can't believe any of this is happening. I have like no thought, no expression. And I just say to myself, like, Lord, fix this. <laughs> like, clearly, these people are adamant on performing surgery when I don't, I don't even understand the problem. He immediately comes back in and says, oh, that was a radiologist saying not to operate on you. He goes, well, you still have telescoping intestines, but it's not as severe as they initially read. But if you eat something and you throw it up, we'll be back. And his team just walked away, him and his team of surgeons. And I'm thinking like, what the heck just happened, number one? Number two, thank God. And number three, I got to get myself well and I got to get the hell up out of here. That experience changed me. <laughs> like, I know I have this condition, but I no longer at this point want to be a part of any sort of mix up like that again. I didn't trust them. So they sent me home with a gang of antibiotics and uh, I know. But when I tell you I took these things faithfully, without fail, I was taking any pill that they sent me home with. I did it because I did not want to have to go back to ER. I don't want to have to lay on anybody's table. And I was on antibiotics for over three months. And I know, now I know that that's not ideal. But I was starting to feel better, like feeling more normal. So from school, I called my nurse and asked for a refill just because, hey, I'm feeling well. I should probably continue to just stay on these drugs. And she flat out was like, no, I can't refill your antibiotics. That's not normal. You need to you need to follow up with your gastroenterologist. And I was, I said, sure, like, fine, but I just need a refill. Like, I'm thinking, I just need a refill. So I was happy to go to that appointment because, hey, I was feeling better. And I also wanted to let him know about the whole ER surgeon fiasco that happened. And this is when he tells me that, I, like, obviously I can't be on antibiotics forever and that he needed to switch me to a drug that will help me long-term. However, the side effects of this drug will lower my white blood cell count and require weekly blood work. And I flat out said, no, I, that solution didn't make sense to me. So I walked out of his office without a prescription and I made the leftover antibiotics that I had last until I finished them. And that was the last time I saw my gastroenterologist. So now, fast forward about another eight years. I had my daughter and I had her in pre-K. And of course, that comes with her being sick. It feels like every other week, which means that I was also sick every other week. But this one time, 
it felt like I couldn't shake the sickness. Like it started off with, you know, sniffles and, and sneezing. But after about a week, over a week, I still had this lingering cough that just would not go away. And I didn't think of anything. Um, I didn't think anything of it at the time. Like I just kept stock of Mucinex and, and some of the other drugs that help suppress some of these symptoms, including cough. Until one day I noticed I was having this conversation with my coworker and I was hacking my whole life away. I'm trying to have this conversation. I'm coughing, trying to speak. I'm coughing. I'm letting him, letting him speak. I'm coughing. I'm trying to take sips of water and I'm coughing. And I coughed so hard I threw up on myself right in front of my coworker. Yep, that was super embarrassing. And I should have known it was serious because there were some nights that I go to sleep um, thinking that I was just still experiencing um, coughing from being sick. And I would be propped up on about like four pillows because of like the drainage and the, the, the mucus. And I would have my cell phone in my hand because I would be coughing so hard. I was just scared that something would happen. I would, you know, cough up something, cough up blood and my um, husband wouldn't be able to get to me in time. So I had my cell phone in my hand, ready to dial 911 while I probably wouldn't be able to move or speak because I was coughing so hard. And that should have been a, a wake up, a wake up call. But at this point, like I knew I needed to see somebody. So I called, I made an appointment with the pulmonologist. And within the first five minutes of my visit, she goes, you have asthma. And I'm like, I have what? I was in disbelief. I hadn't like I had no idea what to do with that diagnosis. And she was very concerned about me as I was concerned about myself. I just didn't think that I was going to be diagnosed. I just thought I needed a stronger cough medicine, if if that puts it into perspective for you. And so she handed me this bag of inhalers and pills and says that this is the most medicine that I can give somebody before admitting them to the hospital. And she even gave me the choice. She said, you can go to the hospital. Like, you don't have to take this. We can admit you right now. And within 24, 48 hours, your symptoms will be clear. It's up to you. And you know I wasn't going that route. I'm like, nope, I'll take the bag of inhalers. <laughs> but one of the best things that she did for me in my life, um, and what sounded absolutely insane at the time, was that she wanted me to start working out. And I laughed, but she was not laughing. And I said, doctor, I can barely make it through a conversation without coughing, which in then turns might lead to throwing up. And you want me to exert effort to work out knowing that I can't make it through a conversation? And she was just like, you have to try. And those were some very rough months for me because I, I didn't understand what was triggering the cough. Um, I don't know if you know anything about asthma, but when you have inhalers, they're, they're not instant. So if you see somebody taking a puff of an inhaler, it does not calm the cough immediately. So you just kind of have to, you know, breathe through it, just try to get through it. And it was just a whole new way of living for me. And I just remember thinking like, I'll never be able to play with my daughter fully, like a full afternoon without having to sit down because I'm too winded or you know, take a puff of an inhaler because I can't breathe. And it just like the whole situation just felt defeating. 
And I remember joining my gym and thinking, okay, it's a lot of people in here. And the likelihood of the population inside this gym that has asthma is probably normal, average, high, and they seem to be okay. So that just became my goal. Like, I just have to get, you know, get this thing managed. Like, I I can operate and I don't have to live my life carrying around a bag of inhalers. Well, the more I noticed that I worked out, the less I needed my inhaler. It was tough at first, I will admit that. But the longer I worked out, going months and months, I started to not need and not rely on my inhaler. Like, I felt great. I felt um, stronger again. And I didn't need to go back to my pulmonologist because I felt like I was managing very well on my own. And I didn't want another prescription. I didn't want another lesson. I just really wanted to just live my life. So I remember at some point I needed my medical records for something. I don't know what I needed them for, but I needed them. And so the nurse faxed me all of my medical history and I flipped through my file before I sent off the medical records to whomever. And I'm flipping through my file and All I see is patient is not compliant. Patient has not taken medication as prescribed. Patient's prescription has expired. Patient has not made a follow-up appointment. And that hurt me so much. It really hurt me to read that. I guess, I don't know, I was hoping to read like, patient reports feeling better. Patient clearly feels better because she hasn't come back to see me. Patient doesn't need medicine. She's doing great. But I guess that's not how things are labeled in the medical world. I would have hoped that she would have reached out to me and said, hey, I noticed you haven't come in in a while. Can you tell me what you did to rid yourself of symptoms? Because I have similar patients that that look just like you, and I'm sure they want to wean themselves off of inhalers. But no, that word non-compliant was just, that, that just stuck with me. But I feel like that was the alarm I needed to really tune into my health and try to help myself feel the best I can because seeing a medical professional doesn't guarantee care. I'm going to say that one more time. Seeing a medical professional doesn't guarantee care. And me and now my knowledge and my history of health coaching, I prioritize care. Yes, you can get the medication. And you can manage, but are you being cared for? And that's huge to me. And I'm not telling you all this to say that doctors are bad or don't go see one when you need to. Absolutely not. I'm telling you this because I'm telling you, basically, I'm not a good patient. (laughs) Clearly, I'm not. I'm not supposed to be in a cycle of sick care. I'm not supposed to be just doing fine on one medicine one day, and then, hey, you're going to prescribe me a medicine that's going to take my immunity away. I'm not the patient that's going to constantly um, rely on inhalers and make follow-up appointments because I have nothing else to do with my life. I'm I'm just not a good patient. I'm not the, the model patient. <laughs> um, so flat out, in each instance... And the stories that I've shared with you, there was just a moment where the weight of it all, 
and these are serious, like Crohn's disease is nothing to play with. Glaucoma or being a glaucoma suspect, having high pressures can clearly lead to tunnel vision and blindness. Asthma has been known to cause deaths. But in each of these instances, and probably some of those smaller medical uh, issues that I've had in the past, it's basically to say that it knocked me on my feet. There's a huge realization and actualization that had to happen for me in order to, to say to myself, this is not me. This is not going to be my life. This is, I don't care what statistics say. I don't care what previous patients have done or what articles have said about this condition or this condition within people. It's not for me. I just don't see that God put me on this planet to just swallow pills and feel less than what he has created me to be. I just don't accept defeat. And I'll tell that to anybody. I tell that to my to my daughter. Um, just don't accept defeat. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I don't care how you're feeling that day. I don't even care how somebody else tried to make you feel. You don't accept defeat. And it might not happen immediately. It might not happen in the next week. Maybe not in the next month. Not even maybe the way that you hoped it would play out. But never, ever, ever, ever accept something that you know is not you. I didn't start off thinking that way. I didn't go into each situation, each doctor's office, each test, each visit, each prescription filled saying, I'm going to defeat Crohn's disease. I'm going to defeat glaucoma. I'm going to defeat asthma. No, whatever, whatever treatment they prescribed to me, I followed it basically to a T. But in the midst of following doctor's orders, I had to have a plan. I had to have a plan to never leave my health in the hands of somebody that can profit off of my sickness. And like I mentioned, that's not to say that that's good or bad. Everybody has a role to play in this world. I just know that I'm just not a good patient. I have a very strong mindset. And these labels that have been thrown on me or tried to stick to me are not permanent. And I call BS on any practitioner out of all of my history, and I know things have probably changed since I've been, you know, 7, 15, whatever, but I call BS on any practitioner that fails to provide natural remedies along with prescriptions. That wasn't a part of my history. I didn't get a, let's look at root cause type of conversation. I didn't get a, let's look at your diet conversation. I didn't get a, let's look at your environment and how it can be contributing to your health issues. I didn't get any of that. I got a piece of paper to go fill at Walgreens. So go back to your why. Go back to that thing that is really driving you. My weight loss, my before and after photos, my posts get you interested, but it won't keep you interested. I decided that I will put my own health and wellness into overdrive, not just coasting, overdrive, really being proactive. With over two-thirds of the U.S. adult population living with chronic disease, I decided that my why for myself and my family is not having negative health reports in my future. I am not casual about health. I am very, very passionate about health and helping. 
your why has to be more substantial than just weight loss. I know I lead with intermittent fasting. I think every one of us can benefit from doing some level of intermittent fasting. But once you hit your goal with weight, then what? Are you really doing this just for a number? And what does that number even mean? I enjoyed sharing this with you today. If you're at all interested in continuing this conversation and talking about your health concerns and even sharpening your mindset to deal with some of those health concerns that you have going on personally, go to my website, goodgirlgunomad.com and click coaching. You'll have access to book some time on my calendar and I'll call you and we can just chat. Until next time, bye for now.